Hey everyone, welcome to Good Wolf Radio. It's Jerry Scarlato. Today we are going to expand our list of natural laws, the natural laws of health and fitness. We have started our list. You can go back and listen to those episodes. We talked about laws 0 through 13. We're not going to go over any of those laws today except one, and I'll tell you which one of those we're going to go over because it is that important. Nonetheless, before we get going, I want to remind you of what a natural law is. I want to remind you of why these are important because, well, uh, because of what a natural law is, that's why they're important. A natural law is something that applies to most people most of the time. It's, it's a law that anybody can take, anybody can apply, and anybody can just about get something positive out of it and move themselves toward a better version of themselves. If they take action on the law, there's a very good chance that they're going to see progress in some way, shape, or form. And that's what a natural law is. Um, if we were to look at the Stoic philosophy and see what they had to say about natural laws, because one of their uh, tenets of philosophy was living in accordance with nature, um, that's exactly what they would say. Uh, they would say that we should live as though um, or live the way that nature enabled us to live. We should live the way that nature guides us to live. And that's what these natural laws are. They are not hard and fast rules per se. They are not, quote, positive laws. Positive laws are the laws that we think of. They are laws that are enacted by governments and states and sometimes arbitrary mm, laws that we enact in our own brain. But at any rate, they, they literally can just about be applied to anybody at any time. So in order to be able to apply natural laws, there are two important things that you need to do. Number one, you need to control the controllables and let go of just about everything else. The controllables are your actions, beliefs, your feelings and what you do with them, like those are the controllables. You cannot control what someone else does. You can only control how you respond to somebody. You can only control how you interact with somebody. You cannot control what a food company is marketing to you because there's plenty of fluff out there that wants to convince you that foods are healthy, that foods are good for you, that just because this says gluten-free or keto or whatever else it says on it, that is something that you should buy. You can't control that, but you can control whether or not you buy the thing or whether or not you buy into the packaging. So you have to control what you can control. Also, you have to commit to the truth and not the trivial. Sorry, I got an itch in my ear. You have to commit to the truth and not the trivial. That's very important because whenever we start to pay attention too much to the minutiae, then we don't take any action because we're too busy debating about the perfect action that we need to take. We're too busy debating about the perfect diet or the perfect program or the perfect way to start to sleep better or the perfect this, that, and the other thing. When we start to focus too much on the trivial, we literally just, we, we literally just slow ourselves down more than anything else. So we have to start with the truth. And the truth is that there are just some basic general rules that most of us can follow, and that's what these are. And if you follow them 
and you ingrain them, then there's a very good chance that you're going to become better. You're going to pursue a higher level of mastery. Um, you're just going to see a lot better results than if you're worried about being perfect on the keto diet for the six weeks you're going to do it anyway. Because most of those things aren't sustainable for most people most of the time. But if you follow some basic rules, they will be sustainable and you will achieve what you're trying to go after. So before we get into our new laws, we're going to go over laws 14 through 20 today. Um, these are all things that we've covered in previous episodes. So all I did was take tidbits about previous episodes or from previous episodes, pulled them out and made them natural laws. So this is just my rendition of what I believe all people could, you know, benefit from. This is one person's, this is one person's um, opinion. So you can take it with whatever size grain of salt you like. However, I, my belief is that, well, because some of these actually did come from other people, my belief is that a lot of people, be them, quote, experts in a field or not, would tend to agree with a lot of these things because I hear a lot of people agree with a lot of these things. So nonetheless, um, that's not me tooting my horn, own horn. It's just the way that it is. I'm only saying that because, like, all these things that I am talking about, generally speaking, someone else has said, Yes, all of them. Someone else has said at some point in time, somewhere else. So by no means am I the first person to say them, um, but hopefully you can start to see the simplicity in things whenever you start to pull things out that you hear often. Whenever you hear them often enough, you might go, well, that might actually be a simple thing that I can apply to my life. So the first law that I want to talk about is law number zero. This is something that we did talk about at the beginning whenever we went over the natural laws the first time around. Law number zero is quit arguing with yourself and just get started. So one of the things that we talked about in the very first series of this podcast, which was the series on identity, was that we spend way too much time arguing with ourselves. Literally, we spend way too much time telling ourselves why things aren't going to go the way we expect them to, convincing ourselves that that diet's not for me, or that working out's not for me, or that I don't have enough time, or that I don't, uh, I don't know, I'm just not motivated, or blah, 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 blah. Like whatever other thing you want to interject, whatever other excuse, which is really all it is, that you want to interject into that sentence. Like we just spend too much time contemplating, arguing in our own minds, usually about why the thing's not going to work out, about why the thing's not going to be the thing that helps us achieve the goal that we're after. You just have to start. You just have to go. It, there's no secret. There's no special thing. There's no nothing. And to be totally honest, like, yeah, of course, there are more efficient and effective ways to get in shape, depending on your goal. Like there's more efficient and effective ways to lose 50 pounds. However, if you're doing nothing that like you're not making, you're making, not, not making zero progress. You're not making any progress. If you start to do something, you're at least making some progress and then you can start to figure out things that work. And then you can start to manipulate factors. And then you can start to change what you're eating or change how you're exercising or change how you're sleeping and see what happens. But again, if you're not doing anything, then it seems logical, but like you're not making any 
progress. So instead of worrying about the perfect thing, instead of planning, let me plan and prepare first. One of the things, this is, sorry, this is like a little side rant, but like one, one thing that I hear people say often whenever they're talking about joining Thrivology is I got to get in shape first. Do you know what we do here? <laughs> like, like, do you know what Thrivology is? It is a place where people are exercising and get in shape. But there's like this mentality that like, that like you have to get yourself to a, a level before you go to another, before you try to do something different. I don't know what, if people think like weight training is, I don't like some other level of intensity that they can't do if they haven't done anything for a while. Like, no, that's where you should be starting anyway. At any rate, like that's just one example of how we convince ourselves that we can't do something. We, we think we need to do, I don't, I don't know. I don't like just start, just do something. doesn't matter what it is. Just start something. Um, and then you can change it. So that's law number zero. I thought that that was an important one to, to get started with because um, it is always worth saying. It is always worth bringing up. We, we just spend too much time arguing with ourselves. And if you just, as Maverick from Top Gun would say, don't think, just do, fantastic line, don't think, just do, uh, then there's a very good chance that you'd already be where you were trying to go. Because you'd figure it out along the way. Like, you got to have more faith in yourself than that. Okay, let's talk about some new ones. Natural law number 14. Remember, laws... 1 through 13 can be found in previous episodes. It's actually two episodes. They probably were a couple of months ago at this point, so you can go back and find those. Um, these are just the fine details that we've pulled out from many of the episodes that we've done. Law number 14. Your decisions are dictated by your state. Change your state, change your decisions. So this came from the Making Better Decisions series that we did a few months back. Essentially, what this is saying is that there's many times whenever we are going to do something or we're going to a party or we're going to work out and we make a decision based on just how we're feeling in the moment, the state of which we are feeling in that moment. And what we don't realize is sometimes we pull our state forward from a previous experience. Actually, it happens a lot of times. And because we do that, we end up making poor decisions in the moment. So, for instance, if you were having a conversation with your boss at the end of the day and the rest of the day was just fine, it all went well, and at the end of the day, your boss sat you down and, I don't know, something at your, pre in your, your presentation wasn't as good as it could have been, and they told you about how you could have done better, and, you know, your feelings got hurt, and so on and so forth. So it ended your day on a, quote, bad note. And so you're driving to your workout, and you're like, I don't really feel like working out anymore. I'm not in a good mood, so on and so forth. And so you make a decision that is not helpful for you. You're just making a decision based on the emotion that you're pulling forward from that conversation. That state is what's dragging you down. That mental state is what's 
pulling you away from the workout that is going to be beneficial to you. Um, we're going to be talking about opportunity costs here in a second, but um, that state is what is going to pull you away from making the decision that you know you need to make in order to move yourself forward. So what you need to do instead is realize the state that you're in, recognize the feeling that you're having, take one second to acknowledge it, and then ask yourself if this is the way that you actually need to feel. Like, do you actually have to feel upset about it? You'll find that the answer is no. You don't need to be upset about, you know, because someone gave you feedback. You don't need to be, you don't really need to feel tired because it's been a long day at work. You don't need to have the, you know, you don't, there's a lot of quote feelings that we have that just pop up. And whenever they pop up, we tend to act on them too quickly. And that keeps us from progress. So you need to learn to change your state. And a lot of that is done by showing up and doing the thing that you say you're going to do. Because one of the things that we recommend here is the 10 minute rule. For instance, the 10 minute rule is simply, you don't feel like working out, show up for 10 minutes. And if after that 10 minutes, you still don't feel like working out, fine, go ahead and leave. But 10 times out of 10, whenever someone shows up and they don't feel like working out and they're, they're here for 10 minutes, they're not going anywhere because their state has changed, because they have started to move, because they have started to interact with people, because they're in a different environment where they feel better and they feel positive and they feel energy and they feel all these good feelings. The, you know, dopamine starts to run, serotonin starts to flow and this, that, and the other thing and endorphins are rolling. Like that's what starts to happen. So trying not to make decisions based on an energy or a state that you've pulled forward from a previous experience is very important. And yet, and that requires awareness. It requires being aware of how you're feeling while you're trying to make a decision. And, and it's the small decisions, really big decisions. Don't get me wrong. I think we make some irrational big decisions also, but like small decisions accumulate and they become the person that we are. And those are the ones that drag you down. And I think we overlook those very quickly and very easily. So if you can start to make better, smaller decisions, I'm going to go to the workout. Uh, you know, I know I, I really want this soft drink because I'm really feeling, you know, whatever, bad about myself for whatever reason, but I'm going to go ahead and have this water and I'm going to do it. And next time I'll choose to have the soft drink or next time I'll choose to work out. But guess next time, next time comes around and you go, Okay, well, this time I'm going to go ahead and work out. Next time I'm going to not work out. Next time I'm going to give myself permission. And eventually, as those things accumulate, as you start to make better decisions, as you start to move toward the person you're trying to become, suddenly it becomes less of a factor. And those feelings that you have, you know, are going to go away as soon as you get into a different environment and change your state. So don't overlook the importance of your state whenever you're making decisions, especially those small decisions. Can't stress that part enough. It is the small decisions that create our identity, that create who we are. And whenever you say you're going to do something and you say you're going to pursue a higher version of yourself and you start to skip and you start to, you know, make decision against that person, you're just reinforcing the old version of yourself that you're trying to overcome. 
that person is not a bad person, but it's not the person that you want to be, that you know that you need to be in order to achieve the goals that you're after, whether that's lose 50 pounds, whether that's get in the best shape of your life, whether that's run a marathon under four hours. You need to start making those small decisions, and the small decisions add up. The small decisions are what create our identity. It's that simple. And unless you become aware that you're making poor decisions in a poor state, you're going to keep doing it. Be aware of the state. Make the decision you need to make to become the kind of person who follows through. Okay, that's law number 14. Your decisions are dictated by your state. Change your state, change your decisions. Law number 15. Don't fool yourself and you're the easiest one to fool. This is actually a quote from Richard Feynman. Uh, physicist, I believe is what, astrophysicist, I believe is what he was. Don't fool yourself. The goal, actually his quote was, the goal is to not fool yourself and you're the easiest one to fool. So this came from also the Better Decisions uh, series. So hmm, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on this one because it's kind of cut and dry. But I think it's worth reminding that like we're rationalizing machines. We can literally rationalize ourselves into or out of anything. If you've ever gone to buy a new car and you had or, or any other big purchase other than like whatever, a book, if you've gone to do that and you, you just had this inkling like, oh, it's not something I really need, but it'd be nice to have, eventually you'll start to rationalize why you need it. You'll start to come up with reasons why you need it. Well, my neighbor just got a new car and it looks nice sitting in their driveway. So I want our driveway to look nicer. And my car, I just got a flat tire and I just don't really feel like dealing with that anymore. And plus, you know, it doesn't have a heated steering wheel and it can get pretty cold in Northern Kentucky. Um, and man, do I want my hands, my hands, whenever they just get cold, it's just very uncomfortable. And you just, you just find, you just start to rationalize. You can literally rationalize your way into or out of just about anything. And all you're doing there is fooling yourself. Not, not because you're a fool, although Richard Feynman would say that you are. I would probably say the same, but I'm trying to be nice. Um, <laughs> I'm a fool too. I'm not, I'm not pointing fingers. If I point one finger at you, there's three pointing back at me. At any rate, all you're doing is rationalizing and all you're doing is fooling yourself. Well, I don't really need to exercise today because I exercised yesterday and it's no big deal and I really don't feel like it and it was a long day anyway and you know, whatever other things you can start to check off the list. Like that's, that's what it means to not fool yourself. And that's, as there's big examples, there's small examples. And again, the more that you're aware that it's happening, the less it's going to happen. The more you're going to be able to make better decisions uh, so that you can become the kind of person who fools yourself less. It's, it's very unlikely, actually, actually, it is unlikely that you're going to never fool yourself. However, the goal is to close the gap. The goal is to get to the point where you fool yourself less. When you find yourself rationalizing a decision, which you, I, I'm certain we all do daily, some of them bigger, some of them smaller, but when you find yourself rationalizing a decision, 
take a second to go, okay, am I rationalizing? Yes. Okay, then here's the real question. Do I really need to do this or do I really want to do this? Like, what do I, what do I want? And then just make a decision. And, but realize that you're making the decision because you are consciously making the decision, not because of these rationalizations. If you're going to skip your workout, just say, fine, I'm skipping my workout, and that's that. And that's, that's the end of it. Instead of all of these rationalizations, all of these reasons, all of these so on and so forth, because that is supporting the old person. That is supporting the previous identity that we're trying to overcome. That's why it's hard. That's why it's challenging. Because it's these small decisions, it's these small moments that we do regularly that build up over time. It's the rationalizations. It's the making decisions when our state's not on, whenever we're having an emotional, you know, not good day and we convince ourselves to not work out because, you know, our boss wasn't kind to us. Like, it's those small decisions that support the old person. We have to become the kind of person, and becoming the kind of person means the moment-to-moment decisions. It's not the big decisions. It is the moment-to-moment ones, and not fooling yourself is one of those things to become aware of so that you don't rationalize yourself into a hole. Good. Okay, that was law number 15. Don't fool yourself, and you are, you are the easiest one to fool. Law number 16. Law number 16 says, weight training is the best way to build type 2 muscle fibers. So in weight training 102, there's weight training 101, 102, and I believe 103. In weight training 102, we talked about um, how weight training is very impactful and the best, most effective way to build type 2 muscle fibers. What does that mean? In the body, we have two types of muscle fibers. We have type 1 and type 2 muscle fibers. Type 1 muscle fibers are slow-twitch, long-endurance muscle fibers. These are muscles that are primarily used, um, not only, to be sure, but primarily used for events such as like longer runs, going out for a jog, even like walking, going out for a long walk. Uh, longer duration type exercise where you're doing anything for longer than, say, about just 60 seconds or so, maybe probably even shorter than that. So those are type 1 muscle fibers. They are slow twitch, long endurance muscle fibers. They don't, they don't have a whole lot of power to them. They don't have a they, – they, they, they are built more for something that is going to take time instead of something that needs to be done quickly. Type 2 muscle fibers, on the other hand, are the opposite. They are fast twitch, and they are low endurance, and they are high power, uh, high power exercise, or exercise uh, muscles. The reason that type 2 muscle fibers are so important is because as we age, it is the lack or reduction of type 2 muscle fibers that increase the likelihood that we fall. And whenever our likelihood of falling increases, then, well, let me back up. If we fall after a certain age, after about 60 or 65, our likelihood of a bad outcome is very, very high. 
uh, bad outcome can be a long duration in the hospital or ultimately it can mean death. And for a lot of people, especially over the age of 70 or so, when they fall, for a lot of them, it means death. So the goal is to not be in that demographic, not demographic, but not to be in that state where because we haven't spent time training our type 2 muscle fibers, we have a high risk of falling. Like, I think we underestimate the importance of maintaining strength so that we don't fall. Like, it seems silly. It seems contrite or whatever. But, like, if you have a grandparent, you know how concerned you are about them falling. But why are you not concerned about you falling? If you have a parent that's, you know, older than the age of 70, you know how concerned you are about them making sure that they're not falling, but why are you not concerned about you? And I say that because the time to train type 2 muscle fibers is now. It's not later. Like, you build long-lasting strength, long-lasting type 2 ability now. You build that sooner than later. Not that you can't do it later. Please don't understand, don't, you know, misunderstand what I'm saying. You can start training these muscle fibers at any time. It's just strength training is all that it is. But you can start training them at any time. You can start training them at 15, 50, 75, 95. It doesn't matter. However, it does get more challenging once you get past a certain age. So you want to start training that now. You want to start training those type 2 fibers now. Now, again, here's here's an example of using type 2 muscle fibers. If you or... If you watch somebody get out of a chair and they grab the arms of the chair and they push themselves up out of the chair and need help pushing themselves up, that's due to a lack of strength in type 2 muscle fibers, mostly in the hips and in the legs. That inability to just stand out of the chair without using their hands is a lack of power. That's all that is. It's a lack of power, which means a lack of strength in the type 2 muscle fibers. In order to improve that, you need to lift weights. You need to lift weights. You can do body weight exercises. That's certainly effective too. Um, It'll get you so far, and it'll be helpful, and it'll keep you at a state where, you know, you can still be relatively strong. However, if you want to really ensure that you're not going to step off a curb and fall down or that you don't need help getting out of a chair at the age of 65 or 70, you need to lift weights. You need to do squats. You need to do lower body exercises. You need to do kettlebell swings. You need to do deadlifts. You need to do all these things that so many people are scared of because they think that they get hurt with them. It's not the hurt. It's the adaptation. It's how quickly you're doing it. It's the form at which you're doing it. These exercises are a necessity for your longevity and your health span. So without going any further into that, because I could literally talk about that for a whole nother hour, um, weight training, very important, very uh, necessary, especially for the development of type two muscle fibers. So make sure you get that into your regimen at least two days a week, start getting after it because it, it will save your life. I promise you that it will save your life. Okay. That my friends, was law number 16.
So, so far, we've done your decisions. Law number 14, your decisions are dictated by your state. Change your state, change your decisions. Law number 15, don't fool yourself, and you're the easiest one to fool. And law number 16, weight training is the best way to build type 2 muscle fibers. Cool. We have four more to go. Okay, law number 17. Weigh your opportunity costs. Reduce expected value. So this is what I was talking about in, I believe, law 14 when I mentioned that we were going to be talking about opportunity costs. This comes from the Better Problem Solving series, which you can go back and find. Opportunity costs and expected value are financial terms. Let me explain them real quick, and then I'll give you an example so that you can make a connection. Expected value is the value that you believe you're going to get from a random variable at a later date. Explained more directly, it's the value that you think you're going to get of doing something, having something, buying something, whatever, sometime down the road. For example, if you're going to go work out, you are expecting to have good energy, to feel better, to be happier, to whatever. Just feel better about things in general after the workout, which is maybe partly why you're doing it. That's the expected value of the activity of working out. Opportunity costs is the missed value of not partaking in an opportunity today at any time. So for instance, if you skip a workout, instead you go, say, to the bar or you just go home and lay around, the opportunity that you had to make uh, improvements at the workout, that's your opportunity cost. So expected value is the value that you think you're going to get from the thing whenever you do it. The opportunity cost is the cost that you're paying for not doing the thing. So the perfect example is getting off of work, not ha feeling like you don't have enough energy to go work out, and going home instead. The expected value that you're attaching to going home versus going to work is that you're going to feel relaxed and you're going to feel, you know, whatever. You're going to feel better because you're not going to have to expend all this energy because you're not going to feel uncomfortable while you're working out and this, that, and the other thing. That's the expected value of what you're hoping to get by skipping your workout and going home instead. And many of us make decisions like that on a regular basis. And that reinforces the identity of not following through with what we say we're going to do. The opportunity cost that we're missing at the same time is what could have happened if we went to the workout. And that's something we don't think about at all. 
What we think about is the expected value. What we think about is, oh, how good it's going to feel whenever I lay down on the couch or how good it's going to feel whenever I grab that bag of chips or what is all that ruckus? Is that all, is that all spam calling? Hmm. Spam. Spam keeps calling us, keeps calling us today. What we're focused on is the expected value of things. We focus on how good it's going to feel to go out with the friends instead of go work out. We, we focus on how good it's going to feel to have that cheeseburger and fries instead of the salad. We don't focus on the opportunity costs that we're missing out on. If we choose or when we choose the salad over the burger and fries or when we choose the workout over bar at the bar with the friends. That's what we don't pay attention to. And if we did pay attention to it, then hopefully we would start to make different decisions because every time you choose the expected value over the opportunity cost, you will always reinforce the person that you're trying to pull away from. And I keep saying that over and over again, and that was not deliberate at all, but man, is it very obvious, like, like all of these decisions are either going to reinforce the person you're trying to become. That's, it's the name of the podcast, Good Wolf Radio. You're either feeding your good wolf or you're feeding your bad wolf. You're either, you're, either, you're either moving toward the person that you're trying to become or you're reinforcing the person that you are. Not to say that you're a bad person. But if you're trying to make a change, you have to realize that you have to level up your identity. You have to start to make these shifts, and the shifts are made with moment-to-moment -moment decisions. It's realizing that you are making a decision on expected value versus realize, not realizing the opportunity costs that you're going to miss out on by going to the workout, by reinforcing the person that you're trying to become, and by literally improving yourself in the process. Instead you are following your feelings. You're following your current state, which is not supporting you at all, at all. So pay attention to the opportunity costs. Again, when you start to make that decision about skipping this habit that you say you're trying to ingrain, Think about the opportunity that you're missing. Yes, part of it is the workout, but to be totally honest, that's not the most important part. The most important part is that you're reinforcing the old person. You're reinforcing the old identity. That is more important, to be totally honest, because that's hard to overcome. So that's law number 17. Weigh your opportunity costs, reduce your expected value. Good. Law number 18. Comfort kills, pain thrills. Comfort kills, pain thrills. So this came from the Why Progress Needs Pain series. Uh, I talk a lot about how our current comfort, comfort level is just keeping most of us in a state of complacency, to be totally honest. Uh, and a big reason that that is, big reason why that is, has to do with Maslow's hierarchy, hierarchy of needs. So if we can go back for a second to ninth grade 
psychology. Maslow's hierarchy, hierarchy of, why can I not say that word? Hi, hierarchy of needs starts at the bottom with physiological needs. Physiological needs are things like food and water and breathing. Things that we liter literally, I hope you know when I say that I'm kind of joking. <laughs> at this point, it just comes out that way. Literally, we literally need in order to, to survive. If we don't have them, we will die. Water, food, breathing, things of that sort. Things we need to physiologically stay alive. We don't have to worry about those at all. Like, we pretty much got those, not pretty much, we got those under control. Food in abundance, water in abundance, breathing. Most of us do it very poorly, but that's another discussion for another day. But we have most of our physiological needs in abundance, which leads us to our second level, safety needs. Safety needs are safety for our body, safety for resources that we need in order to survive again, uh, safety for the family, safety for our health, now safety for our property, safety for our employment. And again, to be totally honest, we, we pretty much got this covered. Like physiological needs, safety needs, like we got both those just checked off the list. It, there just aren't many things that we, like shelter, we got shelter everywhere. If you live in America or a westernized society, then you don't have any problem, generally speaking, finding shelter or many other resources for that matter. So the problem is, like, because all of these things are there, because they're there, generally speaking, in abundance, and because we don't have to work all that hard to make, to fulfill the bottom two levels of the hierarchy, we, we never move any higher than safety and physiology. We never move to love and belonging. We never live to live, uh, move to esteem. Um, and then the top two, self-actualization and self-transcendence, many people just are oblivious to. Not because they're bad people, but because they're too focused on the bottom two things. We have too much stuff. We have too much stuff. We're too freaking comfortable. That leads, leads us to complacency because we got our needs covered. Like, we got those things checked off the list. And because of that, it doesn't allow us, because of that, we have no drive to go pursue anything different. If we have any level of pain, then we back off, whether that's psychological pain or physical pain. I was just actually having this conversation at the coffee shop this morning uh, with my friend Bob. He was in one of these series. I can't remember which one. Oh, Better Decision Making. He's in that series. You can go back and listen to that podcast Bob Schneider, we were talking about pain, like physical pain, and how physical pain is literally 99% psychological and how most of our physical pain is in our minds and not because of the actual thing. Like certainly in an instant, like if you break your arm, in that instant, like it's, it's going to hurt. After that, a lot of it is psychological. A lot of it is just something that we make up on our head and we intensify either by exacerbating the feeling and paying too much attention to it, um, which we've seen in the expectation effect, which if you have not gone and listened to that series about the expectation effect and listened to the interview with David Robson, you should go do that. But like we exacerbate our pain. 
our physical pain and our emotional pain. And because we do that, we don't make, we, we, we don't want to exercise. We don't want to be deprived of these great, wonderful cupcakes and stuff that we love so much and little Debbie's and this, that, and the other thing. And we want our foo-foo coffees and we want this, that, and the other thing. If you don't understand that that is what's keeping you where you are, it's going to be a hard road. It's going to be a hard road. Pain is necessary. Like, pain is something that we literally need if we're going to make progress. Comfort kills, pain thrills. Pain moves us forward. Both physical pain and psychological pain. The phrase, what doesn't kill you, make you makes you stronger, I think sometimes can take can be taken to a, you know, too far degree. But nonetheless, like, that's kind of the idea behind it. But I think we've lost the true meaning. Like, the, the point is to be uncomfortable about it. And when you are uncomfortable, when you get yourself into uncomfortable positions or uncomfortable experiences or uncomfortable situations, that's when you grow. That's when you become a different kind of person. And so working to move away from comfort, not always all the time. Like you should definitely appreciate creature comforts. I Certainly, you should. I drive cars. Like <laughs> you should appreciate them. And yet, you should also figure out ways to build regular discomfort into your life, be that in the form of physical pain or mental pain. So that could mean exercise, and you can get physical and mental pain in exercise. I think we all know that. Realizing that it is your mind that's holding you back from higher and higher levels of intensity is very important. Um, so... Plenty of things that you can do for that. I'm not going to go too much into that because we still have two more things to go over. And John is getting antsy. So that was law number 18. Comfort kills, pain thrills. Good. Law number 19. Willpower is a belief, so believe and you will. I was feeling very rhymey or, I don't know, clever with these two laws. Willpower is a belief, so believe and you will. This is from the Will to Power series. It's also in the Expectation Effect series, I believe. But there's been studies done, I can't remember the authors of the studies at this point, around willpower. And... Basically, what most of the studies entail is taking one group and, uh, well, first they ask them their beliefs around willpower. They take the willpower is limiting group and the willpower is non-limiting group and they give them the same task. And then they see what happens. Most of the time, nine times out of ten, for the limited willpower group, they're not able to push themselves too hard. Their energy level is depleted. They... They don't push themselves beyond a certain point, whereas the non-limited willpower group, the, the group that doesn't believe that their willpower is limited, in other words, they can push through 
just about anything. You, if they are mentally fatigued already and you put another task in front of them, they can go ahead and do it. So if you start to understand that willpower is just something that you have in your mind, it's just something that you are making up, it's just something that we create, then you will find that willpower that you're talking about. That willpower that you need to overcome that piece of cake, that willpower that you need to push yourself and walk through the doors of the gym, that willpower that you need to do whatever it is you're trying to do. It's, it's up here. It is all mostly mental. Yes, yes, there is a physiological process actually going on whenever you make decisions, whenever you have to be disciplined, whenever you do those things, uh, your mind uh, uses glucose and that's its energy source. That, when that happens and it becomes depleted, then your quote willpower is gone. Here's the irony, when you believe that you have limited willpower, your brain will actually release less glucose. So it will deplete faster. However, when you believe that you have unlimited willpower, then your brain will release the necessary glucose you need that to, to make decisions and to live. And for most people, most of the time, that means a lot of glucose because we all eat, not all, but most of us eat carbs at just about every meal. So literally you should be plenty replenished. Um, and that's not something I made up. That's found in those studies. That's what happens. Your brain releases glucose based on your belief about your willpower level. So remember, willpower is a belief. So believe and you will. That's law number 19. Law number 20 to finish things off. Focus on stress mindset over stress reduction. This was in the Expectation Effect series. I also did an interview with author David Robson. Fantastic interview. But it's one of the last chapters of the book that he emphasizes the importance of the stress mindset. I believe there's actually a book called The Stress Mindset. One of the Kelly McGonigal, at any rate, stress mindset, what you believe about stress, what you believe stress does to you will dictate how you respond to it. If you believe stress is a bad thing and you believe that stress makes you stressed out and stress makes you anxious, anxious, then that's what will happen. If on the other hand, you believe that stress is empowering, stress is energizing, that Whenever you are challenged in a certain way that it brings you more vitality than it pulls away, then that's what will happen. Now, of course, there is a point of diminishing returns when too much mental and physiological stress and so on and so forth is detrimental. Yes, most of us aren't even close to that capacity. Not even close, not even a little bit. So don't convince yourself that you are. Don't tell yourself, woe is me. Your stress mindset is what's keeping you from making progress. And if you realize that it is all in your head, you'll see a lot of things change in your life. If you go back and listen to the expectation effect, the whole series, the book review, and the interview with David Robson, you will start to realize that it is all in your head. It is all in your head. And when you start to overcome the beliefs that we have that you have about 
stress and willpower and motivation and so on and so forth, then you can make significant strides in your life. Okay, that's our updated list. That's our laws 14 through 20. I'm not going to go back and review them. Make sure that you go back and review them so that you can know what's going on. Um, If you need help with any of these laws, if you find yourself lost in your health and fitness, if you think that you need some guidance, because we all do, every single person on earth does, nobody is special, you can join our free private Facebook group, Good Wolf Community, where we're constantly putting out information to help move you forward, and where myself and all of our other Thrivology coaches are there to answer all of your questions and to keep you on track. So you can go in, search it. Um, I believe there's also a link in the description. You can go there um, free. All you got to do is join. Make sure you share this so that your friends get the good news too. And until next time, here's to your success in health and fitness mastery.